But the resurrection changed everything. This weekend, all around the world, billions of people are celebrating Easter. There's 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. This is the most celebrated event in history. In fact, the, the resurrection split our history by the life of Jesus Christ. It, everything is graded either A.D. or B.C., and it's because something amazing happened to Jesus. Okay, when we say 2018, 2018 from what? From the life of Jesus, from the birth of Jesus. Your birthday is dated as a reference point to Jesus' birth. Everything is happening in relationship to Jesus, and it's because something amazing happened. What happened? Well, when Jesus was on the earth, he was very, very popular. Uh, uh, he was popular with the people, but the religious systems and uh, the governments, they did not like him. Okay, they wanted him dead. And because Jesus was popular, they had to arrest him at night. And Jesus was arrested at night, and uh, he was kept up all night, and he was taken through six trials. Okay, three religious and then three uh, government trials, Roman trials. And none of those trials were legal because it was illegal to have a trial at night. But they were rushing this thing through. And they wanted to persecute, they wanted to prosecute, they wanted to execute Jesus. And after six trials, all night, this whole thing, do you know what they found Jesus guilty of? Nothing. Nothing. He had done nothing wrong. They couldn't get anything on him. So uh, they had to get some witnesses in uh, to make up these charges against Jesus and put them before him. But uh, the witnesses couldn't keep their story straight and they had to throw out that case. And finally, they made one accusation that stuck because it was true. This was the accusation. He claims to be God. And that was it. And they were right on that one. Jesus claimed to be God. It was blasphemy. So Jesus was sentenced to be killed by crucifixion. And crucifixion is by far the most brutal, the most brutal, torturous form of capital punishment ever invented. Uh, they, they, they beat him. Before Jesus even went to the cross, uh, he went through so much. Uh, they beat him. They shoved a crown of thorns into his skull. Uh, they would have scourged him, which is a, a whipping that, uh, I mean, is just absolutely horrible. And then they would have made him carry his cross up the hill, up the mountain. They would lie him down and nail his hands to the cross. But then they would also bend his legs and nail the, the feet to the cross. Why in the world would they do that? Well, if you didn't bend the legs and nail the feet, just hanging there uh, in crucifixion, it would become a, a death by suffocation. And they didn't want it that easy. So paralysis would set in around the lungs and then uh, you would no longer be able to breathe properly. So they bend your legs, nail the feet so you could push up and then breathe out again. And so it was, a, death on a cross was long. It was up and down and up and down and up and down. And it would take hours, days in some cases. And it was horrible. I, I, I even had this whole thing I was going to bring you today walking through the crucifixion and everything that happened to Jesus. And quite frankly, it was so horrible, I couldn't even bring myself to do it. Especially knowing that there would be kids in the room. Why, why did Jesus go through all that? All that time on the cross and then they would take a spear and shove it into 
his body and, and he would be dead. Why, why would he go through that death on a cross? And I think the question that we hear in our culture at this, around Easter time every year is who killed Jesus? Who put him on the cross? Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? And it's probably not who you think. Uh, it wasn't Judas who betrayed him. It wasn't Caiaphas, uh, the high priest. It wasn't Pilate, the Roman governor who over, uh, saw some of the trials. It wasn't even the crowd who turned on him and said, crucify him. We'd rather free Barabbas, put Jesus on the cross. Barabbas, who is guilty of a lot of charges. It wasn't uh, even the Roman soldiers who, put, who did the act of, of crucifying him. There's two answers to who put Jesus on the cross. And the first one is that God did. God did. The whole reason Jesus was sent to earth was to pay the penalty for our sins. And if Jesus didn't want to go through that, didn't want to carry out that purpose, he wouldn't have had to. He was God. He could have called in 10,000 angels to uh, to relieve him, uh, to save the day. But no, he endured, he went through it. The second answer to who killed Jesus is I did. Because if I hadn't sinned, Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross in my place and pay the penalty for my sins. And he was doing it so I could be saved, so you could be saved. And even on that cross, in all that pain, do you know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about you. Even some of his dying words were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. The thing that gave him the endurance to go through it, to take on that pain, was you were worth it to him. And he wanted to forgive you and he wanted to make a way for you to be saved. Romans 4.25 kind of sums this up, is that he was handed over to die because of our sins. It was our penalty he was paying. But he was, he was raised to life to make us right with God. Another passage says that if Christ has not been raised, so if the second part of that first verse is not true, if he had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. He says, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, we have nothing to believe. If Jesus Christ is not alive today, there's nothing for me to stand up and preach. There's no reason for you to come to church today, and we might as well call it a day and just go home. But no, he is alive. Look at this next verse in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It really did happen. He was seen by hundreds of people. And people died for sharing what they saw. It's a distinction I want you to be aware of today. Those early followers of Jesus, they did not only die for what they believed. People die for what they believe all the time. These men and women were persecuted and died for what they saw. And they saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. And, it, and this next statement in this verse is absolutely amazing. It says that Jesus Christ's resurrection is only the first fruits of those. And then it, it, it changes the term. But from here on out, the New Testament doesn't really talk about death as much. It says that death is just falling asleep. 
Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered death and now everyone will rise. So death is like falling asleep because just like Jesus rose, everyone will rise. And those who trust in Jesus will go on to eternal life with him. And there is eternal life for those who believe in him. And that means if he's alive today, this hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. I want to explain what I mean, but let's read this next verse out loud together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I titled the message today, Some Things Never Change. Some Things Never Change. In one way, the resurrection changed everything. But in another sense, because Jesus is alive, nothing's changed. Because if he's still alive, he hasn't changed. And so I want to say three things uh, today that because Jesus is alive today, we can benefit in three ways. There's three things that we can anchor our lives in because they never will change. The first one, if you're taking notes, because Jesus is alive today, his purpose is unchangeable. Jesus Christ is still in the same business that he's been in for 2,000 years. Same purpose. What's his purpose? Well, it's John 10.10, but a lot of people uh, think that Jesus said something different. They think that Jesus said, I have come that you might have religion and that I might make your life miserable. That's kind of a popular opinion about what Jesus said. No, Jesus says, I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. His purpose is to give life. Most people are not living. They are merely existing. They're on a treadmill. Wake up, go to work, watch TV, go to bed. Wake up, go to work, watch TV, go to bed. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full, meaning it would be meaningful. It's more than just a treadmill. It's more than just a rat race. It's more than just existence. It's real, true life. And a lot of people think if I ever really gave up my life to God, he'd make me some kind of religious fanatic, some crazy person. Or they think if I ever really uh, went all in with God, that he would ruin my life. Okay, I have have a one-year-old son at home. Uh, His name is Landry. And uh, my wife and I pray for him every day. We have high hopes for the the man that he'll become and the man of God that he'll become. And I just want you to imagine with me that years from now, if he were to come to me and say, "Uh, Dad, I love you and I want to honor my parents and I want to honor God and I want to do what's right. And and I just wanted you to know that I want you to show me what's right because I want to do what's right. What I turn to him and say, Landry, I have been waiting for you to say that, and uh, you are never going to smile again, and you're going to eat liver at every meal, and you're going to do math for five hours a day, and we're going to read for five hours a day, and you're going to regret the day you came to me and went all in on doing what's right. No. But why do we think that with God? We think if I went all in with God, he's going to ruin my life. He's going to take stuff from me that I'm not going to enjoy life anymore. When Jesus says, I came that you may have meaning, that you would have life and life to the full. And what God really said is that he wants you to really live. He did not come to condemn. John three seventeen says this, for God 
did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to make you feel guilt and shame. I came to relieve the shame. I didn't come to rub it in. I came to rub it out. I came to make a way. And his purpose, his purpose of giving life, his purpose is unchangeable. If you're taking notes, number two, because Jesus is alive today, his power is available. His power is available. Have you ever noticed how much of life deals with power? How to get it, how to use it, how to keep it? Well, I want power. Power breakfast, power bar, power nap, power shop, and a power shake. We want power. Bible says in Ephesians 1.20, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. It's for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What, what do I need power for? What do you need power for? Have you ever felt powerless? Powerless to change a situation? I have. Powerless to change a relationship? Uh, powerless to change yourself? Powerless to change a bad habit? Sometimes we need the power to start something. More often than not, we need the power to keep going. We need the, we need the power to just keep on keeping on. Have you ever gotten halfway through a project and run out of steam? Have you ever gotten halfway through a career and wondered, is this all there is? Have you ever gotten halfway through a marriage and thought, did I, did I make a mistake? Have you ever gotten halfway through parenting and thought, I am not going to make it through this? Have you ever gotten halfway through life and wondered, what's the use? God gives us not only power to start, not only starting power, he gives us staying power to hang in there and keep going on what we started in the first place and what we know is right to begin with. He gives us persistence, he gives us endurance, he gives us power. And because Jesus is alive today, that power is still available and I can use that power. Philippians 4.13 says, I have the strength to face all conditions. How? By the power that Christ gives me. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to struggle through life on my own power. I don't want it, there to be a misconception today. Just because you believe in God, just because you become a Christian, does not mean you stop having problems. You still have problems. But Christianity, but Christ, gives us the power and the perspective, something bigger to live for than our problems. A lot of people go through life so focused on their problems, they have nothing bigger to live for. They think about their problems all day. They worry about their problems all the time. But through the power of Christ, we have a perspective, a power that's bigger than our problems. I'm so thankful that I don't have to go through life alone, that I don't have to face my problems alone, that God gives me something bigger than myself, something bigger than my problems. He gives me something to belong to. If I, if I didn't have something to belong to, if I, didn't have, if I had to do it myself, I would not make it. I would cop out halfway. And I'm thankful that I can be connected to God, that I can belong to God, I can belong for a purpose, I can belong to a church, that I can belong to people who can help me get through. This Easter, I'm really excited to 
share with you a resource that we have available that we're launching this weekend. It's a new study. It's called Belong. And uh, I do the teaching on it, and there's testimonies uh, from people in our church, their stories. And uh, it's about how we belong for a purpose, how we belong to God, and how we can uh, belong to one another and what that means. It's simple, uh, but powerful four-week study that you could go through. And uh, it's available in the lobby today, and I just wanted to give you a taste of it, and I'll explain a little bit more after that. Let's watch this. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to belong to God, to belong to God's family, to belong in a community, and to belong for a purpose. It's just amazing to look back at the story and, and see you know, how, how God worked for my childhood and, and used that, that dark period to really help me to appreciate His grace and His promises. And We're going to talk about how we belong in God's family. That relationship could be drawn with a lot of lines extending horizontally between us and others who are in a relationship with God. I was awestruck by the type of bond the guys had, how close together they were, and how in my life I didn't have much of that. But I was drawn to that. I really wanted to feel close to somebody. We're going to dive into how God calls us to be intentional about how we treat one another. God chose you. You belong because God sought to adopt you as a son or a daughter. So we're excited because uh, it's stories and testimonies from our people in our church. You can learn uh, what it means to, to trust in God and, and what this is all about. Uh, there's no strings attached in the lobby today. If you'd like to go and, and pick up a DVD and a study guide, uh, you can. Now, I'll tell you, it, it's even more powerful if you go through it with uh, maybe one other person or maybe two other people, maybe some friends or family or coworkers or uh, people that you came with uh, today. Uh, but either way, we wanted to give you this resource. I'm pushing this today because this point number two is totally lost without this. The power comes from when I say I belong to God and, and learn what's in this, in this study. And it can be used in a powerful way. So in the lobby, step out on, on your way out, and uh, they'll have some more information there. Uh, but we wanted to be able to offer you uh, something else this weekend. Because his power is still available. Let's go to number three. Because Jesus is alive today, his promises are still reliable. His promises are still reliable. Jesus made a lot of incredible promises. And if Jesus were dead, obviously he could not keep any of them. But because Jesus Christ is alive today, his promises are still true. Bible says for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, you know a promise is only as dependable as the person who makes it. And if Jesus made a promise, you can count on it. You can true. It is true. You can rely on it. You can bet your life on it. His promises are still reliable. His promises are what give us hope. But what is your hope in today? Can you name your source of hope? Is it in your ability? Is it in your job? Is it in the government? Is it in 
some future thing that's on the horizon, some change that you're hoping will take place, that then everything will be okay? What is your hope in? Can you name your source of hope? Is it reliable? Is it faultless? And I submit to you that there is only one thing that's absolutely, totally, irrevocably, completely reliable, and it is the promises of God. And because Jesus Christ is alive today, if he said it, it will happen. You can count on it. What are you going through right now? There is a promise to cling to. Here's a promise for you in Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Where's your source of hope? I invite you to have God be your source of hope. Everything else is just a resource. God is the source. And step one is to trust your life to God. Another promise, John 5, 24, Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. This verse is a great promise because it deals with the most common problem everybody has, death. Everybody faces death. Everybody is terminally ill. And even though, even though we know that death is inevitable and that it's going to come, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. It scares us to death to talk about it or think about it. And Jesus says that for the believer, for those who trust in him, death is nothing more than just a transfer. That no, no longer do I have to fear death anymore. I think it's fascinating that the first words out of Jesus' mouth after he rose from the dead is fear not. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And guess what? When you don't have to fear death, you get to enjoy life a lot more, don't you? And Because I no longer fear death, I get to enjoy life. I'm not afraid of what I know is going to eventually happen. And all of, the, all of a sudden, it releases me to enjoy what's happening around me a lot more. How do you get that kind of confidence in life. Let's look at another promise, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Another promise, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Would you circle those two words, uh, trust in? So that you may overflow with hope By the power of the Holy Spirit. These two verses tell you what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who says Jesus is Lord. Meaning uh, I submit to him. He's my king. He's my boss. He's my manager. He's the executive in my life. And I follow him. He calls the shots in my life. Because I believe he is Lord. And he is alive today. That's what it means to be a Christian. And when Jesus rose from the dead. when, When Jesus rose from the dead. Something happened. To those followers, those people who followed Jesus and learned from him, those disciples, those people who followed him, something changed in them after Jesus rose from the dead. And I want what changed in them, what happened to them, to happen to you. There was a transition. I'll put it this way. Before the resurrection, if you're taking notes, you can write this in. Jesus' followers before the resurrection, they believe that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. They believed what 90% of the world believes about Jesus. No matter what religion you find, every religion wants a piece of Jesus. 
They all believe something about Jesus. You rarely find someone who says, uh, well, Jesus, uh, you know, they'll look at a quote from Jesus, say, well, he was totally wrong about that. You rarely find that. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody believes that about something to do with Jesus. And you'll hear it this way. I believe that Jesus was a good man. I believe that Jesus was a good prophet. I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. I believe that uh, his acts of compassion changed the way that many of us treat one another and he made a difference for good. They have a believe that about Jesus. And what I want you to do is what the followers of Jesus did and is that after the resurrection, they went from believe that to trust in. Where they said, I trust in Jesus. And what happened in the resurrection was that, that he became the savior of the world and that message went into the world. And I want every one of us to cross this line from believe that to go from just believing that Jesus was good or that he existed or believing something about Jesus to trusting in him. And let me tell you why you can't even come up with a good reason to resist. Can I just tell you why, uh, why it's irresistible? Here's why. Because anything that you believe about Jesus Anything you believe about Jesus, the fact that you even know the name of Jesus was brought to you, was told to you by the same men and women who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So the fact that you even respect Jesus, the fact that you even know about Jesus was told to you about people from people who saw him after he died, raised from the dead, and worshipped him as God and Lord and said he's worth trusting your life to him, to trusting in him. And if you're going to believe anything they said about Jesus, why wouldn't you believe the most important thing they said about Jesus? Here's my invitation. Why not go the whole way? Why stop at respecting Jesus? Why stop at just respecting Christianity? Why not become a part of it? Why not go the whole way? Why not cross the line into trusting him and saying he rose from the dead and he's my Lord? They said, those followers of Jesus said, we're willing to die for what we trust in. We're willing to die for what we believe about him. Even more than that, we're willing to die for what we saw. And we saw the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And the reason I want you to step across this line, the reason I want you to go from believe that to trust in is because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, Mary, they saw Jesus risen from the dead, and trusted in him for salvation. What does it mean to trust in? What does that mean? Well, it's faith, and faith is simple. It's making a decision that when Jesus died on that cross, he died for the reason he said he died. That it was because of my sin. That he paid the penalty of death in my place. And when he rose, it was a validation of everything he ever said. And if you trust what those men and women said about him, why not trust the most important thing they said about him? That he is a risen savior 
And it wasn't just that he lived, but he can live in your life today. And if you've never done that or never understood that until this very moment, you can begin trusting in him right now. It's not difficult. It's placing your faith in him. Jesus said, by faith, you become a member of the kingdom of heaven. It's simple. It's not difficult. Some people have made it difficult. The Bible says it's not difficult. Jesus says it's not difficult. That you become a member of the kingdom of heaven by faith. He loves you. He cares for you. And he has a plan for your life. And he's brought you here today. So that if you've never made that decision, you can make that decision today to trust in Christ. Would you please bow your heads? I want to pray for you. If you're looking for purpose, power in your life, do you need hope? He promises those things if you'll trust in Him. And it begins by trusting in Jesus. You can do that right now. Just talk to Him right now in your heart, in your mind. You don't have to say anything out loud. But say, God, I want to have real faith in You. I want to become a trusting believer in you. Thank you for coming to earth and living a a perfect life. A perfect life I could never live. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross because of my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Proving you are God and have the power to forgive sins. And today I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy God, you made me, and you made me for a purpose, and I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust in your wisdom and strength. I want to hold on to your promises when times are tough. And I also want to be raised to eternal life in heaven and a full life on earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would take out that uh, communication card again. And on the back of that communication card, uh, you'll see uh, right in the middle some letters in bold, A, B, C, and D. And we just like to, at Easter, uh, get a sense of where people in our community are, where our church is on their spiritual journey. And every single one of you uh, fit into one of these four categories. And let me explain what they are so you can check the appropriate one. A is for those of you who have already trusted in Jesus Christ to save you. You say, there was a day before today where I trusted in Jesus Christ to save me. B is, you say, I'm beginning to trust in Jesus Christ today. And maybe you've considered the claims of Christ and we're hoping that today it's gonna click for somebody and they say, I wanna, I wanna begin trusting in Jesus today. A C is that you're still considering it. You're considering the claims of Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to take some more time to think about it. Listen, I understand this is a big decision. This is the biggest decision you'll ever make. And so maybe you want to consider it. Uh, I would encourage uh, you, just like everybody, but to take uh, some of this this study uh, with you. Maybe go through that. Come back next week as we uh, start dealing with topics that are of interest to you and what the Bible has to say about Our everyday life, what we face every day in life, the Bible can guide us and direct us. But I would also encourage you not to consider for too long. Don't wait for too long because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And you don't want to get to the end of your life and not have trusted in Jesus Christ. There's a fourth category, fourth option, and that is D, 
And maybe you say, I don't think I'll ever trust in Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, uh, if that's you, to be that honest with us and to let us know. And, and we're not going to come knocking on your door or anything like that, but we want to know so we can pray for you. Because I'll just tell you, there are a lot of people in this church who would have one day checked D that they don't think they'll ever believe. Guys, there's pastors in this church who would have one day said D, I don't think I'll ever believe. There's people who wrote the Bible who would have one day said, I don't think I'll ever believe. And we want to pray for you because Christ's love compelled us. And we want to pray that Christ's love will compel you to make a decision. He's absolutely amazing. He's worth trusting in. He's worth giving your life to. And we want to sing about that great promise and and our great God. Let's sing Mighty Cross.